Welcome, everyone. This is Treks to Nowhere. In early spring of 2013, I returned to Tennessee to have another go at the infamous Barkley Marathons. One year prior, I had somehow managed to find success making my way around that horrific loop all five times. I returned in 2013 ready to show the world that it wasn't in fact a fluke and that I could be successful again. However, the result of this overconfidence was realized as what can only be described as a true and utter humiliation. I ultimately failed and failed spectacularly, perhaps a story for another episode. Following this entire experience, I returned home somewhat lost and aimless. I hadn't experienced such a monumental failure with any of my previous running endeavors, and it left me feeling deflated and frankly embarrassed. I felt unworthy of my previous finish, and it somewhat collapsed my self-confidence as a runner. I felt ashamed and had no desire to return to running at all. In some ways, I felt like I lost the privilege to call myself a runner. Now, in retrospect, I realize how this was perhaps a bit melodramatic. I spoke a little bit about all of this in the final episode of Season 1 of this series, titled, To Be an Explorer. After my 2013 failure, over a month went by before I even tried running again in earnest. I went out to a local 50K event and almost quit halfway through as I was overcome with an overpowering feeling of apathy. In the end, I did slog my way to the finish line reluctantly, but felt no joy at all during the event. In many ways, it felt as though my four-year foray into running may have finally come to an end, and it was time to find new ways to find joy again. But then, in somewhat of a Hail Mary attempt to salvage something meaningful out of my running, I did something wildly unpredictable and unorthodox. On one afternoon in early May, well over a month after my 2013 Barkley failure, I found myself sitting at a local cafe in State College, Pennsylvania, trying to peck away at my dissertation and wallowing in my sad puddle of self-doubt. At one point, while avoiding my necessary work and while aimlessly surfing the internet, I somehow stumbled across a website advertising a rather peculiar type of running event. Normally, I would have dismissed it immediately given my current mental state and distaste for all things running, but what perked up my eyebrows in this case was the weirdly unconventional nature and format of the advertised event. You see, over the previous five years, I had participated in dozens of running events from the 5K distance all the way up to over 100 miles. These races took place on every type of varying terrain in just about every type of setting. I would often even tout the variability and comprehensiveness of my running resume when asked about what type of events I prefer. I can recall many times telling people that, I like to mix things up, as if it somehow made me a more complete runner. Looking back now, I'm rather embarrassed at my pride and overt hubris in this regard. 
But sitting there at that cafe after all that had transpired, I was now in desperate need of refinding what it was precisely that brought me to running in the first place and what it was about running that brought me joy. As I've talked about in previous episodes and in the last chapter of the Treks to Nowhere collection, running had devolved into a game of numbers tracking and it had lost all of its joy. I no longer found happiness from any of my running. So given all of this, what piqued my curiosity with the event now displayed on the laptop screen in front of me was that it was a style of event that I hadn't ever previously attempted. Every event that I had ever participated in in the past had one thing in common. They all had a discrete distance and distinct finish line. This new event that I was now seeing, however, did not. So then what precisely was it that I was looking at while sitting there at that drab cafe and brooding over my recent running failures? Well, the event was a race known as Three Days at the Fair. Up in the northwest corner of New Jersey, a state that most likely imagined to be entirely urban, sits an area made up of rolling and idyllic countryside. In this typically unnoticed corner of the state near the New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey tri-state point also sits the highest point of New Jersey in the appropriately named High Point State Park. The Appalachian National Scenic Trail follows along the ridgelines in this area, passing right by the large tower marking the state's high point, before then turning and heading up into the Hudson Valley region of New York. I have fond memories of passing through this area on my 2007 AT thru-hike, which is perhaps why I felt such a strong, sentimental tug while reading about this quirky running event. This entire region of New Jersey is also situated in Sussex County, one of New Jersey's least populated and most rural counties. And smack dab in the center of this county sits Augusta, an unincorporated community that is home to less than 1,000 people. What makes Augusta noteworthy, however, is that it serves as the home for the New Jersey State Fair. And this fair takes place at a modest fairgrounds facility that houses just a few buildings and several fields and partitioned areas for horse and other animal shows and competitions. When the fair is not underway, the fairgrounds mostly sit vacant, making it a prime location to host a multi-day outdoor event where not many resources are needed other than physical space and maybe some restrooms. And this is why it serves as such an ideal location for a multi-day running event like Three Days at the Fair. The way this event works is quite simple. Within the boundaries of the fairgrounds, the race directors mark out a single one-mile loop, mostly on pavement, that circles the perimeter of the grounds. This loop also happens to start and stop at the main fairgrounds headquarters, a location that features both a full-service bathhouse and restroom, and also, and more importantly, a full-service kitchen facility that can be used to prepare meals for runners. 
By running in literal circles around the fairgrounds, runners will therefore never be farther than one mile from a well-stocked aid station, resting spot, or bathrooms. Participants are free to either set up a tent and camp along the course in multiple grassed areas, or bring their RVs and tap into the many available hookups. It is truly an ideal place for a low-key, dirtbag-style running event. The race starts on a Thursday morning at 9 a.m. and goes for 72 total hours non-stop. The clock never stops and never pauses in those 72 hours. Runners can then sign up for any specific block of total time ranging from 6 hours all the way up to the full 72 hours. Then, within those simple constraints, there is only one solitary goal. Run as many loops as you can, or want, within your given time bracket. There is no expectation of how many loops you should run, and it is entirely up to each runner how much they want to push themselves. Many runners might set hourly or daily goals. Others might just see how many total miles they can cover. Still, other runners could instead sign up for, say, six hours, and then run a fixed distance like a marathon. It is entirely open and free form, and the only constraint is time. This concept for a running event just seemed so ridiculous to me. How can there not be a defined distance? How do you pace yourself? How do you know how much to do? How do you not go crazy repeating loops on a one-mile course? In many ways, it sounded dreadful, but in other ways, it was absolutely fascinating to me. I could, in theory, run one single loop and quit if I wanted, and yet I'd still be listed as a finisher. This idea and concept just didn't compute in my heavily distance-focused brain. So, as I sat there in that cafe, utterly dumbfounded, trying to reconcile my conflicting feelings over this bizarre style of event, I simply couldn't resist the temptation, and the curiosity absolutely got the better of me. As I was living in central Pennsylvania at the time, and with New Jersey being only a few hours' drive away, Participating in this event would also be incredibly inexpensive from a travel perspective. What ultimately put me over the edge, though, was the thought of just methodically checking off mileage boxes while listening to my music or audiobooks, therapeutically incrementing progress towards nothing in particular. It just seemed like exactly what I needed. So in a quick fit of absolute certainty and before I could change my mind, I clicked some boxes, entered some numbers, and in just a few moments, I now found myself registered for the full 72-hour time bracket. I figured in for a penny, in for a pound. I would have three entire days to run, walk, crawl, or otherwise perambulate as far as I wanted on a single one-mile loop in rural New Jersey. No matter the outcome, it would be impossible for me not to finish. And given my current mental state regarding my running, this thought 
more than any other resonated deeply with me. I can remember leaving the cafe that day, having completed nothing on my dissertation, yet with a giddy smirk on my face at the prospect of what was about to come in just a few weeks. What had I just gotten myself into? Over the next few weeks, I had no idea how to prepare or train. I would just go out for daily runs, not really caring about distance or format. More than anything, I suppose I just wanted to make sure I was fit enough to at least walk multiple loops. As the event neared, I started tossing supplies into a large plastic bin that would serve as my resupply box during the event. I also prepped a foldable camp chair and packed my small pop-up tent that I would plan to set up next to my car in case I needed a place to stay out of the rain. I made the four-hour drive to the fairgrounds on the Wednesday night before the race and found a grassy spot to set up along the loop. I purposefully picked a spot that was approximately a third of a mile around the loop. I reasoned that by setting it up in this spot rather than near the start, it would force me to complete a third of a loop each time I wanted to break. A way to get ahead a little, I thought. That night, I slept in my tent and dreamed of hiking along the Appalachian Trail. The next morning, around 7 a.m., I took a warm shower in the fairgrounds bathhouse, set up all of my gear, and picked up my bib number and timing chip. At precisely 9 a.m., a group of about 50 runners gathered around the kitchen area at the start line, and the race director sent us off with an unceremonious, Go! And just like that, we were off. I began trotting along the course, still unaware of just what I was about to face. The simple course starts off with a very short climb up to the bathhouse, followed by two quick turns out to the main entrance road. Once on that road, the course sends runners on a 0.1-mile out and back around an orange cone before the long straightaway to the back half of the loop. The reasoning for the out and back was so that the race directors could set up a loop that was precisely 1.0 miles. At the end of the straightaway, the loop features another small climb before entering the long, arced section that slowly bends runners back around towards the starting area. This long arc covers about a third of a mile and ends up with the only short dirt section of the course. From that section, runners cover about a tenth of a mile along some of the fairgrounds buildings before making the final turn in towards the finish line on the only brick-paved section. Then. It's rinse and repeat, ad infinitum. I was frankly surprised at how quickly the first loop went. One mile running really doesn't take that long, especially with so many different subsections and turns. Loop two went just like the first, as did loops three through ten. I can recall looking over and seeing the ten appear on the digital screen as I crossed the timing mat and thinking, wow. Am I already really in double digits? I'd only been running about an hour and a half at this point. I also noticed that even after only 10 miles, I was already listed in fifth place. I definitely wasn't running fast, so was quite surprised at this. I just figured everyone else was just taking their time, given that we still had over 70 hours remaining. The morning progressed on and the miles ticked by. I listened to music and audiobooks and began marking clear spots along the course that I would use to play games. 
I also started noticing that there were other runners that I was consistently seeing or lapping on the course. This was the first time in any event that no matter where I was on the course, I was always within a mile of everyone else. It almost felt like we were one big family, all circumnavigating the course together. As the morning gave way to afternoon and eventually evening, I took note of my mileage. I had somehow managed to surpass 50 total miles by dusk, a respectable tally, and now placing me in fourth. I had also started learning some of my fellow runners' names at this point and would run loops on and off with different people. I was taking periodic breaks at my makeshift tent as well as the primary aid station at the start line. Every now and then I would stop for a more substantial meal like a grilled cheese sandwich or a hamburger. And despite the one-mile format, I was genuinely enjoying myself. As the sun set, I noticed significantly fewer people on the course. Many had stopped to sleep or take naps. I realized that I had no plan and honestly wasn't sure if I should even try to sleep or just keep going through the first night. I decided to just plod on and see what happened. For hours through the night, I made my way around the loop sometimes running, sometimes hiking, but always moving. I'd stop every now and then to rest my eyes, but never more than a few minutes at a time. As the pre-dawn hours approached, I finally stopped for a proper sleep break. I went to my tent and fell asleep for about an hour before leaping out of my bag in a panic. I couldn't shake the feeling that the clock was still ticking. When I got back out onto the course, I could hardly even walk. The one hour of sleep completely stiffened up my muscles and I was in a horrific state. I was at nearly 100 miles by this point and figured that I was just done for. This is where the human body, though, is such a marvel. In just one loop of hobbled walking, all of my joints had loosened up and just one mile later, I was back to running again. It was remarkable. As the sun rose, I ran several quicker-paced loops, and by the 24-hour mark, I had just surpassed 100 miles. It was now day two, and I was in uncharted territory. What would the day be like? How would my body hold up? Would I still be able to run at all? By this point, I had started to make some friends. One runner, David, started completing many loops by my side. He was a regular at this event, so was quick to offer some advice and tips on how to manage days two and three. More than anything, he just stressed not trying to do too much. As we spent the day running together, our mileages increased similarly, and by that evening, we were both sitting around 140 miles. We were definitely slowing down a bit. That evening, I dropped down for another nap, this time for about two hours, and by the next morning at the 48-hour point, I had completed about 175 total miles. This was the farthest I had ever gone in any one single event. The third and final day was the most difficult. At 9 a.m. sharp, a big block of runners began the 24-hour run, timed so that they'd finish at the same time as us 72ers. It was wild to see their energy looping around the course, as we all looked like lumbering zombies. Most of my miles at this point came from hiking, but I was content that I was still moving at all. 
As the morning gave way to afternoon and eventually evening, I had a new goal that I set for myself. Try to surpass 200 miles. Right around sunset, David caught up to me on a loop and informed me that he was about to start his 200th loop. I wasn't sure what loop I was on, but agreed to run his loop with him. When we crossed the timing mat to begin his 200th, I saw that I was on my 199th, so we agreed to run the next two loops together at a quicker pace, and it felt good to pick it up a little bit. Two short miles later, we both celebrated before realizing that we still had over 12 hours remaining. I saw that David was in fourth place while I was one mile back in fifth. I told him that I need some time to really sleep and it was likely going to stop once I made it around to my tent. But then, as I neared my tent, I was overcome with the feeling that I wanted to complete 201 total loops before my nap so as to actually make it into the 200s. One mile later, I was in my tent celebrating 201 total miles. I fell asleep quickly and had my longest sleep of the event, over two and a half hours. I woke up after dark and spent the next hour slowly bringing my muscles and joints back to life. At this point, I had no real goal mileage other than to just see how much further I could get maybe 2.15 or maybe even 2.20? I started trotting, and in these wee hours of the third night, there were very few of us out there still making loops. David was still there and had pulled several loops ahead of me at this point. For hours, we moved together, and as the sun slowly began to rise, we realized that we were both now in second and third places, respectively. First place was well out in front, but fourth was right on our heels. We both agreed it was time to pick it up so as to maintain our current positions. And then something happened, something that I've only ever experienced after many hours of physical and mental exhaustion. It happened at the Barkley, and it happened a few times on my AT and PCT through hikes. There came a moment where my entire being was washed over by a sense of true stillness and calm. I felt distilled, a raw version of myself, and it was magical. It felt like that moment when you first get goosebumps, but yet somehow lasting and permanent. I still had about two hours left in the event at this point, and was overcome by an urge to just run. I quickly found an upbeat track on my iPod shuffle, cranked it up loud, and then began running. I don't know how, but I started running nine-minute miles, loop after loop after loop. I was passing people effortlessly, and it felt like I was just floating. Where was this energy coming from? Was it just adrenaline? But somehow, I persisted, and for the next 90 minutes... I was speeding my way around the course, covering another 10 miles, putting me at 227 total for the event. I told David that I wanted to try and break 230, so I picked it up even more. 228, 229, and then the math games start kicking in. If I can somehow run my 230th mile, in sub-nine minutes, 
that will give me nine minutes to complete the 231st mile. Let's go. So, somehow, after over 71 hours and brutally tired legs, I ran an eight-minute mile as if it were my first mile of the race. I was smiling, pain-free, and giddy. I hit the timing mat at 2.30 and blew right on through. David had already stopped at this point with 233 miles, and so I was now out on the course with only a handful of remaining runners, all in front of me, just trying to eke out that one last mile. As I looped around the arc section of the course and saw that I now had five minutes to finish the last half mile, my pace finally slowed slightly. There was literally no one behind me. I would be the final finisher for the event. It's important to note here that a loop only counts if it's completed. There is no credit given to partial loops, so I would need to actually cross the timing mat before the clock clicked over to 72 hours. I rounded the last turn and saw the finish clock and that I had over a minute remaining to cover just the last few hundred feet. I slowed to a jog and ran across the timing mat to a cheering crowd, securing my third-place finish with 231 total miles. Within just two minutes, I was lying on the grass nearby with all of my muscles cramping. It was glorious. A few hours later, David and I both waddled up to the race director during the awards ceremony to accept our awards, and I felt as though I'd become part of a new running family. So, I had found a new way to experience the joy of running again, and for the entire drive back to Pennsylvania, I was happy, and once again, at peace with my running. I would end up returning to three days at the fair seven more times in the subsequent years, eventually reaching a high mileage of 257 during my fourth attempt. In every case, the loops never got old or repetitive, and today I have now covered over 1,500 miles on that one single mile-long loop in rural New Jersey. Thank you, everyone, for following along on another Trek to Nowhere, as we literally made circles around a random loop in rural northwest New Jersey. In the next episode, we'll explore a different type of looped adventure I took earlier this year when I decided on a whim to ride my motorcycle over a thousand miles around the state of Arizona in an event known as an Iron Butt Ride. Take care, everyone, and be safe out there. <laughs>